Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt, underscored by the music of one Sam Brandt. We're presented, as always, by BetOnline.ag. They're your online sportsbook experts, the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget that promo code PODCAST1. Receive the 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag, a baseball business of sports podcast, steeped in Major League Baseball, and what a time for it. We are in the dead smack in the middle of the World Series as I record this, the Nationals. I'm claiming the Nationals because I grew up in Washington, D.C. without a baseball team, so why not? And that is totally a fair weather fan. I haven't followed the Nationals, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I've got a special guest to talk about baseball in a much more serious matter. T.J. Quinn, the eminent sports journalist from ESPN for Outside the Lines for investigative journalism through their enterprise unit really had a sobering piece about Tyler Skaggs, the pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels that died on July 1st, the wee hours from an overdose of opioids that were laced with fentanyl. Uh, we're going to talk about that, what happened and how an Angels employee was heavily involved and maybe others and the DEA's involvement and all those kind of things. And it's really a sobering story and one that sort of goes to the heart of an addiction that may or may not have involved others in the exact same organization. Baseball, of course, has to get a hold of this, is talking about opioid testing and all those kind of things. But it's a societal issue. It's a sports issue. It's an issue that was uncovered in the Los Angeles Angels on that fateful night of June 30th and July 1. We'll talk about it with one of my favorites, TJ Quinn of ESPN, in a minute. First, a rant about baseball, and we'll talk about this with TJ as well. You know, the Houston Astros, I have to stick up and, and really sort of mention my association as a writer for Sports Illustrated. I know there have been a lot of layoffs there, um, but I'm still there <laughs> and uh, writing my column on the business of football every week or every other week. And Stephanie Epstein covers baseball, and she was in the locker room of the winning Houston Astros locker room that beat the Yankees last weekend to go to the World Series. And evidently... Uh, General Manager, Assistant General Manager, uh, Brandon Taubman of the Astros is yelling at a group that included Stephanie about that's why we got something to that. I'm paraphrasing. That's how we got Asuna. That's how we got effing Osuna. Rafael Osuna is the pitcher for the Astros that was acquired from Toronto that had a history of domestic abuse. And I guess maybe there was some uh, criticism when they signed him, but it seemed completely gratuitous. There was no coverage of Asuna at the time. And people like me, casual baseball fans, tune in. I had no idea Asuna had that in his past. Now I do. And now I have this sort of taint about the Houston Astros, not be, in part because of that ridiculous act of defiance in the middle of a celebrating locker room. But the apologies have been really, really weak. Uh, and they haven't been apologies. They've been kind of statements crafted by PR from the Angels and from Taubman himself, which sort of ended with if I offended anyone. The if I offended anyone, and I'm sorry, is not really an apology. It's kind of saying, why this, you know, why are you offended? And I think there was both from the Angels and a little bit from Major League Baseball questioning whether the veracity of the story by SI, listen, this was yelled out to a room full of media, for Christ's sake, of course. It was documented, and others have weighed in. That's exactly what they heard, whether from The Athletic, from other publications. You know, what we've heard from ESPN reporters and others, and people I even talked to that know baseball a little bit in the business side, 
is that there's this real attitude issue with the Astros. They think they're better. They don't respond. There's arrogance that's been called out publicly by many people about the Astros in light of this, that their general manager doesn't treat people well. They've got this attitude that certainly was on display on the way they treated the Sports Illustrated reporter. So it just seems to be like this is a pattern, hasn't been handled well, and as we sit here today, anticipating Game 3 of the World Series, we're almost a week removed from that incident. We have not seen an apology, a true apology, to whether it be Sports Illustrated, whether it be Stephanie Epstein, whether it be the group of women that was supposedly yelled at, one of which was wearing a uh, support for domestic violence bracelet. I mean, all of this. We haven't seen one apology, and maybe the Astros are deciding as a unit we're not going to apologize because that would not be a good look for them, even though from a public point of view, it would be a real good look to show some humanity, show some vulnerability, show some contrition, be transparent about what you did. That hasn't happened. So there we are. And uh, bad look for the Astros, bad look for what's going on. And speaking of bad looks, I'll give you another rant before I get to our special guest, TJ Quinn, the New York Jets and assembly. Uh, the guard there evidently needs surgery, has statements from doctors, has statements from independent doctors. I wouldn't say independent. His doctor saying he needs surgery. And evidently, again, this is where it gets murky, the, the Jets doctors agreeing to that, but not agreeing that he should have it. So th there's this massive disconnect between the injury that Kachemi, I'm sorry if I get the name wrong, Kachemi Osemele, had and what should be done about it. You have the NFLP involved, as they should be. Listen, the CBA has rights. You have a right to a second surgeon. If you're going to have surgery, you have a right to a second opinion. All of that seems to have gone on here, and there's been lack of or really miscommunication between the Jets and the player. This is also a not a good look. And I, people ask me all the time, tell us something we don't know about working for a team. One thing is the amount of time spent on medical. Uh, you spend an inordinate amount of time on injuries, what's the, not only certain when he's going to be back, how's he look, but just sort of the injury discussions that always go on. What's really going on here? How long is he going to be out? What are the dis issues with a second opinion? And that's happened here. So Assembly's going to get his surgery on Friday, and the Jets don't seem happy about it, but we'll see where it goes. If the Jets have a negative reaction to his roster status, or if they have a negative reaction to his surgery, or whatever happens, you know, that's their problem because evidently he needs it. And, you know, we'll see. Again, it's murky whether the Jets doctors have approved it, but if he has a torn labrum and he can't play with it, I guess the Jets think he can play because at some point he practiced with it. So, you know, this is a problem, and whatever the truth is, it's not a good look for the Jets. But once again, like the Astros, if they came out with some transparency, I know we have HIPAA issues, but at least say it is our opinion this player does not need surgery. And again, not a good look by the Astros, not a good look by the New York Jets. Uh, and quickly on the Jets, the issue of the week on the Monday night game, Sam Darnold is mic'd up, said something about seeing ghosts, everybody's going crazy over that. Listen, the mic'd up thing is completely up to the team and player. Uh, I know with Brett Favre in my time, we did allow for the mic'd up, meaning he allowed for it sometimes, but sometimes he didn't. Sometimes Aaron didn't. This, this, you know, you don't have to. 
and it doesn't seem like the Jets and the uh, Darnold are going to allow for that much more. Okay, let's get to our guest, which is, of course, the great, the eminent reporter for ESPN, uh, for Outside the Lines, for the Enterprise Unit, talking about the tragic death of Tyler Skaggs, the pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels, with all kinds of ramifications, potential for opioid use and fentanyl and DEA and, and, and uh, government investigations. Without further ado, my guest for this week on the Business of Sport podcast, TJ Quinn. So happy to have a good friend and someone I really admire on the podcast today, someone I worked with a long time at ESPN and maintain a friendship with. Proud to have TJ Quinn on the program, one of the best investigative journalists in sports, uh, someone I've followed for a while before I got to ESPN, during ESPN, after ESPN, uh, really goes to the heart of deep and serious and important matters in the world of sports and sports journalism. TJ, happy to have you on the pod. Man, I, I would have been happy without that intro, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yours. <laughs> yeah, I had you at hello, huh? <laughs> but way beyond that, yeah. Yeah, great to be with you. Yeah, and my listeners know I spent a lot of time on the subject that I've spent a lot of my career in football, but I saw a baseball story reported by you that I thought we have to get to the bottom of this and sort of hear more about it. It's so interesting and here we are on World Series week, and I'll get your comments on that later. But uh, I'm going to let you sort of paint the canvas beyond what I'll say right now, which is that a story came out from you this month about Tyler Skaggs, pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels, found dead in a hotel room in Arlington, Texas, um, discovered to be opioids. And I kind of let you frame it in terms of the involvement of an employee or and and or employees of the Los Angeles Angels. So I'd like to give you sort of a canvas to paint it for our listeners. Yeah, it, you know, when a when a otherwise apparently healthy twenty uh, seven year old pitcher dies mysteriously, a lot of people started talking about drugs. And I had spoken to somebody in Major League Baseball who said they hear rumors about a lot of people, but they had not heard them about Tyler Skaggs, that he was not somebody on their radar as a, as a partier or drug user. And, and about a, uh, two months after, uh, after he died, a toxicology report came out from the medical examiner's office that said they'd found oxycodone, fentanyl, and ethanol, which is grain alcohol in his system. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a powerful combination and adds him to a long list of or growing list of celebrities who've died with fentanyl related deaths. Um, the best theory that I've heard from people familiar with the case is that he did not intentionally take fentanyl, that it was laced, uh, that the oxycodone he had was laced with it. But uh, the story that we did was you know, well, uh, sorry. So the the point about a, an employee being involved when the toxicology report was released, Tyler Skaggs family put out a statement through their attorney, Rusty Harden saying, or mentioned Rusty Harden said that we're aware that an employee may have been involved. We mm. found out who that employee was. Uh, it's Eric Kay, who is still technically their director of communications, though I can't imagine how much longer he'll hold that title. Uh, but we, had some very good sources and then Kay's own lawyer actually confirmed for us on the record that 
he has met with the DEA. Um, the DEA wants to know where the fentanyl came from. And he told them, yes, that he had a, uh, an arrangement with Skaggs for years, back to 2015, where uh, Eric Kay would get money from Tyler Skaggs. We saw Venmo transactions that the family said were for drug use. Um, Eric Kay would go make the transaction. He would get the, the, get the oxycodone. It was always oxycodone. Uh, and that sometimes the two of them would crush it and snort it together. And that this went on for years. And what got Eric Kay on the DEA's radar was a series of texts that they found on Tyler Skaggs phone showing, uh, what I'm told are explicit communications between them about drug use. And he told the DEA that he did give him drugs a few days before the road trip, uh, where Tyler Skaggs died and also told them that he had gotten a text from him that morning or, or sorry, when the, the day the team was flying, they flew mm-hmm. to Texas June 30th. He died early hours of July 1st. So, you know, during that 24 hour period, that Skaggs had reached out to him for asking him for more drugs and that Kay was not able to get them. So part of his defense to, to uh, investigators is I don't think the drugs I gave him are the ones that killed him. And I don't know how easy it would be to prove direct mm-hmm. involvement anyway. I mean, he, again, he Tyler Skaggs drowned on his own vomit. And how would you argue what caused him to lose consciousness Um, it wasn't an overdose. His organs didn't shut down. He aspirated. So, um, aspirated and asphyxiated. So that's part of his defense as well. Um, but the DA is looking at him. They're looking at a number of other players as well. And apparently Eric K gave them the names of five players who he had firsthand knowledge, uh, that they had received opioids at some point. Taking you back to that fateful day, June 30th, July 1, they go to Texas to play a game there. And uh, that scene is poignant in a lot of sports fans' minds, and certainly mine, when the Angels came out. Was it the next day? Was it the game that was going to be played where they laid the 45 jerseys, Skaggs jerseys, on the mound uh, in a support and everyone's crying and it's, it's glorious? I mean, I guess... What were the circumstances around that? And at that point, what did they know about his death? They, they didn't know much of anything. Um, 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 that, that happened, uh, I think it was about almost two weeks after that happened. I mean, they didn't play the next day. And they were on a road trip right. um, in Texas. That was the start of that series. They played uh, a couple more games in Arlington, then went on to Houston, and then home. So I think it was like July 13th or so that the, everybody wore 45 jerseys in his honor. Right. They all laid them on the mound, uh, emotional game. You had an incredible thing where there was a team no-hitter, um, a combined no-hitter on that day, and Tyler Skaggs' mother was there to throw out the first pitch. Um, somebody had some idea something at that point. Uh, you know, the, the, the DEA was, was told by Eric Kay that, yeah, well, I want, I want to be careful how I say it. I don't want to accuse anybody of anything. Okay. You know, what, what we know as far as sources have told us, but Eric Kay told the DEA and what Eric Kay's attorney told right. us was that during that night, sometime in the hours before he died, he witnessed Tyler Skaggs snorting three lines of opioids. And 
and then he told them that uh, Skag started texting other guys to come up and hang out. Um, I have no knowledge that anybody else did drugs with him. Uh, but one of the things I was told was that when police met with Angels players later that day to ask if anybody had seen him after they all checked into the hotel in, uh, in South Lake, Texas, um, only one player came forward and said that he did. And it wasn't a player who I'm told is, is connected to drugs in any way. But people knew he was partying. People knew something was going on. There had to have been rumors at that point and that mm. somebody on the team had to be aware of it. Um, and at a minimum, Eric Kay was, and he was still around the team. Um, he had not only provided him drugs, he'd seen them he use those drugs within hours of his death. So I, I don't know how far that knowledge went in the clubhouse. I don't know if players knew or anybody beyond Eric Kay knew. Um, but yeah, there, there was, you know, they, they had to know that there was something, something, you know, waiting to come out about this. What is what was, and you sort of hinted at this earlier, what was Eric Kay's role on the team? Does he have a current role? And were, was you outing the connection the first time that anyone learned of this, this, this bond between Eric Kay and Tyler Skaggs over drugs? Uh, to my knowledge, it, well, no from what Eric Kay has told prosecutors and, and from what, or sorry, from what he's told agents anyway. Um, okay. what we were told, and, and again, I also spoke to Eric Kay's mother and his wife on the record. I spoke to his lawyer right. on the record and they said that Eric had a long history of, uh, opioid abuse that, um, and they say that it, it sort of took a, went to another level when Skaggs got to the team and the two of them, you know, latched onto each other and started snorting it, which is a far more intense way to do the drug. Um, Eric Kay had been through rehab uh, a couple of times before Eric, uh, before Tyler Skaggs died, including, I mean, right before, uh, I think he'd been out for like a month or so, maybe two months, um, when, uh, when Skaggs died, but Skaggs told the DEA that when he was an assistant PR guy, he was in rehab in 2017 and was getting texts from Skaggs harassing him to get him more drugs and that he was furious about it because he was trying to get clean, he says. And that he was having a conversation with Tim Mead, who was then the director of communications and also a vice president with the club and is now the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame, mm. that they were having this conversation and Tim Mead said to him what a great guy Skaggs was. And, and, and Eric Kay said, no, he's not. He's a piece of, you know what I'm trying to get clean. This guy's been, you know, been doing drugs together. He's harassing me now to get him drugs. So Eric Kay told the DEA that he told his boss in 2017 and then his mother, his wife and his lawyer confirmed that just this past year on Easter Sunday, uh, Eric had an overdose, was taken to the hospital. Tim Mead went to visit him the next day and that, uh, Tyler Skaggs continued to text Eric Kay while he was in the hospital and that Eric's mother and wife saw these texts and said to Tim in the hallway, look, he's still texting him right now. The organization needs to get involved. So, you know, that, that's the most we know about it. Tim Mead, completely denies it. He said, I don't even want to use the word recall because, you know, to say, I don't recall, it sounds like a dodge. He said, I'm telling mm -hmm. you it didn't happen. 
But uh, those are three people on the record. And as you know well, if Eric Kay said that to, to uh, federal agents, he's at risk of obstruction if he lied to them. And, and does Eric have a status with the Angels at this moment? He's technically still the director of communications. He went back into rehab, uh, I think it was July 18th, uh, about you know, two and a half weeks after, after Tyler died. Um, long inpatient treatment. He's still going through outpatient treatment right now. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with his employment, uh, but he's technically still on paid leave. Um, just have to wonder after three times through rehab and, and what's going on now with the fallout after Tyler Skaggs death, you know, how, how much longer he stays there. Yeah. And you bring up the angels and, and so what has been the response in your reporting from the angels and from major league baseball as we sit here today? The angels are adamant that nobody knew about it and they've mm. stood behind uh, Tim Mead and another team employee who we didn't name. We didn't feel it was worth naming this person. Um, but the team says that those guys are adamant and that the, the team itself never had knowledge. Um, the people I've spoken to at major league baseball are not thrilled with the way the angels have handled this. Um, mm. they, say that they've gotten very little information out of them and that when they wanted to get information from the angels, the angels lawyers said to them, we don't know that the privilege would apply if we shared information. They're worried that anything they share uh, with MLB could be subpoenaed. And there's, you know, I don't know if there's any criminal exposure for them, but um, you can bet you're behind that there's some civil exposure someplace and somebody's right. going to take advantage, whether it's Skaggs family or Eric Case family or anybody else. Um, you know, their lawyers aren't saying that now, but that's what they're worried about. But MLB sure. wants to know who knew what, and the rules are explicit. If anybody on the organization who is not a player, you know, so basically anybody who's not part of the union, if they have information that a player is using drugs they are obligated to inform the commissioner's office. They're, they have to do it in writing. They have to say, say what steps they've taken. And I was told that MLB got no such notification. And the rules allow Rob Manfred to fine the team up to $2 million and to suspend or ban anybody that he sees fit. Um, I'd be, you know, if it's a PR guy, telling another PR guy, even if it's a VP, mm -hmm. I, I don't know that they'd hit him with a full measure of it, but Eric Kay could very well end up being banned for life, um, even if he's seen as a cooperative witness now. Um, Tim Mead could potentially be, you know, he's not working for MLB anymore, but, you know, a lot of people were concerned that he would lose his job with the Hall of Fame. Rob Manfred's on the board of directors. So is Artie Moreno, by the way, the owner of the Angels. Mm -hmm. um, so you'd say at some point, if, 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 if Major League Baseball believes that, that the Angels knew, you, you can bet there'll be some kind of punishment. Yeah, and let's talk about the Angels, this Tim Mead, who's now, as you said, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Did he leave under normal circumstances? Because now we just sort of connect the dots. When did he leave yeah, the Angels, and yeah. how was that framed? He had, yeah, he had, he had uh, told people he was leaving sometime earlier in the spring, and he actually left, I think it was June 1st. So it was, you know, uh, a month before Tyler Skaggs died, and mm -hmm. I, I don't... I've heard nothing to suggest that there was any issue brewing or that anybody was aware of it. I mean, Tim Mead had known since 2017. I don't know what would have happened this year to suddenly make him think I need to get out of here. 
uh, longtime baseball guy who's you know very well respected in the business. The, all the interactions I ever had with him were great. Um, and if you're going to leave that job, I could see going to the, to the Hall of Fame. You know, if you're a baseball person. Right. But uh, no, nah, it doesn't doesn't look like it's connected. So you, as you said, you had on the record conversations with people around Kay, which included his attorney, um, Malfetta, who said some interesting things that, you know, he says he has been informed by one branch, the U.S. Attorney's Office, that they're not ready to make the designation at this time. Uh, he's not broached that with other office. What, what else could you glean from the attorney that sort of gave the idea that, that, you know, a lot of your reporting, like, like this is a real thing. Like, obviously, you connect the dots in your Venmo transactions with Skaggs and K, but, you know, this sounds like this is something pretty deep, went on for a long time, and obviously a tremendous amount of drug use. Yeah, I mean, it was funny because I, you know, we, we had had it pretty nailed down from some very good sources. And we had yeah. reported, you know, a few weeks before that about the DEA's involvement so I called him expecting, you know, uh, something along the lines of, uh, yeah, I got nothing to say to you or maybe even something more colorful. Um, right. Certainly gotten that before. And instead yeah. I laid out what we heard and I got a pause and then I got, that's accurate. Hmm. And I mean, which just doesn't happen. So I was, and I've had <laughs> other people in this story on background ask me that same question that he's on the record. Why is he on the record? And right. You're the attorney, you're the professor. You'd probably have a far right. better guess at, uh, as a strategy. Um, but I think, uh, you know, the sense I got from is they've got his guy cold, that the text messages, bank records, whatever they've got are so explicit that there's really no point in trying to play games with the feds. Instead, make the case that, hey, he was wrapped up in this, you know, as, as a, a user with Tyler Skaggs. And in some ways, Tyler Skaggs was using Eric Kay as a vehicle to get his drugs. You know, he, he's mm -hmm. saying the idea that this PR guy could somehow influence this, you know, major league starter, you know, that, that he was going to corrupt him as opposed to the other way around, um, is, is kind of ludicrous. Again, this is their argument, not mine. Right. Um, and that I think he's trying to just sort of get out there, um, I think they felt like this is going to come out at some point. So if we were going to do it, they were going to cooperate and, and try to get their side out there as well, which, which I can see. And I imagine, I think it also puts a lot of pressure on the angels, frankly. Right. Um, you know, they, he hasn't shared what his thoughts are, but it, it does seem that it puts the angels in kind of a box that, all right, this guy's told federal agents that two team employees knew. So why are you focusing on this one guy who? just as easily could have, you know, if the drugs themselves were spiked to the point that it, it killed Tyler Skaggs, that he was at the same, same danger as well. Um, so I, I can kind of see why he would just go along with the feds and say, all right, you got me. I'll help any way I can. Um, but yeah, it was a, getting a, a lawyer on the record. It's um, <laughs> involved in drug transactions right. with the player's death. That doesn't happen every day. Yeah, I mean, I'm reading the article and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, that's, that yeah. kind of got me. He's, he did what? He, he, oh, yeah, I, of course, you know, that's unusual. Um, you know, what's interesting to me is that here we are during World Series week, which I'll get to in a minute, is just that 
we did have an announcement or an in the news, an item of Rob Manfred. Uh, you can phrase it better than I can. Something forming a committee or getting involved in, in looking at the opioid issue. Um, you know, again, this happened a couple months ago. Your reporting was two weeks ago. This this is getting some attention. Now, I don't know how, speaking lawyerly again, how causally linked this is to Tyler Skaggs, but I did see that in the news and in Major League Baseball recognizing, not recognizing, but suggesting they're going to look into this opioid issue. Yeah, it had come up before, uh, um, just as it becomes a rising issue nationally. And right. uh the people I had talked to said that the concern has always been that uh, the players union did not want general screening for drugs of abuse. Right now, they only screen for drugs of abuse if they are probable cause, as defined by them, not the law. Mm-hmm. Um, so they wanted, you know, baseball apparently had pushed the idea that they want to get opioid testing. But the, the Players Association was saying, well, we don't want guys busted for weed when attitudes and laws have changed so dramatically about it. And everyone I spoke to said that it looks very likely that they'll be able to get a deal where MLB will say, let us test for these other stronger drugs of abuse, and we won't look for marijuana. Hmm. And Skag's death only accelerated that. And the people I've spoken to have said, yeah. But I think the other thing uh, about Skag's death one player dying is a tragedy, but it doesn't on its own suggest a larger problem. But the fact that Eric Kane named five other players, if that is one guy on one team naming five of them, and people have said like a you know, fifth of the clubhouse, I don't know that all five are on the team at the same time. I don't know the extent of the use. I don't know exactly what he told them. But again, if you have one guy who's able to name five players in addition to the one who died, that tells you there's something more going on. And from what I've been told, that's where baseball feels like they want to get ahead of it. But on the other hand, what I was told is they're laying back for now because the DEA is doing this. They don't want to get in the way. And one person I spoke to said, the DEA is going to do all our work for us, frankly. We don't have subpoena power. We, don't, we can't right. walk in with a badge and get this information. So they're, they're waiting to hear what the DEA does, and then I'm told it's going to be a major effort to see what's going on. Now, I'm not asking you at all to name names, but do you know the names that they identified? Uh, we are not prepared to publish anything at this time. Okay. Because uh, how, how would I, how this... would I do in your class if that was my uh, <laughs> that was my answer? Uh, I think the professor would ask further questions. <laughs> um, so, I guess yeah. I mean, is this a bigger problem, and is that going to come out at some point and cause even a deeper issue that baseball has to resolve? And yeah, I think you kind of answered it where you said we're leaving. They're leaving it to the DEA to do all the dirty work, which is going on, but. I think that, yeah, you kind of answered the question I had, which was, this is tragic, this is terrible, this is a young man's life and the prime of his life, but is it a deeper problem? And that's really where we have to look at this. Is And when you started this conversation saying this is not just oxycodone, this is fentanyl, and then you're like, wow, I mean, this is major, and where's this coming from, and who's this K, and where's he getting it, and what street, and what country, and all those kind of things. Exactly. 
Yeah, and that's why I mean there were actually two investigations launched at the same time, and it sounded like they actually didn't know about each other until they reached out to Eric Kay, but both the oh, field wow. office for the DEA in Dallas and the one in LA uh, launched this because apparently the transactions took place in LA, at least for the drugs Eric Kay admits that he gave to Tyler Skaggs, but they also want to know did he get anything else while he was in Texas? No, it is, and and, and there are really two issues here. One is is any of this related to pain management and, right. you know, uh, uh, even the healthiest major league pitcher, um, or, you know, any, any player has an incredible amount of wear and tear on his body over the course of the season. Um, he had had Tommy John surgery. Was that related to it at all? But the, the behavior that was described to us was that he was using it as a party drug that mm. it was not related to, to pain management that, you know, he was snorting it because he liked to do it. And that the other players who had been asking for it, um, you know, that, that what we were told was that, that, I guess, Skaggs had asked for it on their behalf. It, nothing was described to me as being a pain management issue. So there may well be guys out there. The people I talked to at MLB said they don't know that that's a huge issue. They do test in the minor leagues all the time, and they say they just don't see it there because it would be if someone's an opioid addict, it really is hard to function day to day if it takes over your life. Um, on the other hand, if you're a starting pitcher like him and you're going every five days and you know, you got a couple of days where you're doing nothing, then you can structure your life around that, frankly. And some drug addicts do that successfully. And it sounds like Tyler Skaggs might've been able to to do that for years. So, you know, opioids are, you know, they're, they're a risk for a lot, you know, for, for a number of different reasons. Yeah. I mean, listen, when you say party drug, I mean, maybe I'm too simplistic. Party sounds like more than himself. So I'm back to, well, there had to be more than him. But right. I realize well, we with addiction, that addiction right. can we, be private as well. It can. And, and what I was, you know, what, what Kay's lawyer told me was that Eric characterized it as that they did it together a number of times and that uh, Skaggs would do it with friends that he trusted and that he had a group mm-hmm. outside of baseball that he was close with. Um, but that there was a reason he never showed up on MLB's radar, that he was, had everything really buttoned down and was very conscious of his image. Um, and he was able to function for a long time. I mean, I've had enough experience with addiction and addicts that, you know, people can be very highly functioning, even with a drug like that. Uh, I don't know how long they can continue to do it, but and apparently Skaggs went through cycles too, where he'd be, you know, using more heavily and then times where he didn't. Um, but yeah, it does suggest that, you know, if, if he started texting people, um, that night saying, come up and hang out. Um, I don't know that anybody else was using, I don't know that anybody else saw him use, but I guarantee the DEA wants to ask those players that question. Yeah. I mean, my first thought when you said that was the DEA is going to find those texts, those responses, those whatever, calling him from the room to room, whatever it might be in that hotel, I would think. And they can also see who used their, their key cards and when, you know, it's pretty, yeah. there are security yeah. cameras. I've been in that hotel. Um, <laughs> it, it's not too hard to trace somebody's movements. So, you know, and if, and if Eric Kay and Tyler Skaggs were that explicit between the, the themselves, you know, from, from what I'm told by Kay's family, he, he was only giving and using uh, drugs during the season with Skaggs, um, which would mm. suggest, you know, they, they said they believed and that Eric believed 
he was he had different sources during the off season. So if he was that explicit with Eric Kay, you'd wonder was he that explicit with other people, whether he was using it with them or, or getting drugs from them. So looking forward, what do we what do we expect next? Some kind of report uh, from the DEA, potential criminal charge. I mean, I'm sure the angle angels would rather this just kind of go away, and and we know baseball's sure. working on a policy. So what's next here? Well, everybody's waiting on the DEA, and the right. the question I have not been able to get answered is, you know, was was this investigation folded into a larger one? We had very good sources familiar with this investigation tell us that fentanyl has become a priority from the DOJ. So there were apparently a number of different fentanyl investigations going on, tracing it usually back to China and trying to find, okay, who gave it to to Tyler Skaggs? Where did that person get it? How can they trace the pipeline? Uh, I had a couple lawyers tell me that they think things you know, could be wrapped up in 30 to 60 days, and they would expect to see, excuse me, some kind of charges at, at that point. Um, whether Eric Kay would be charged, I don't know. Um, you know, and they could always refer to state charges in Texas or um, or California. But it sounds like he's at most at risk for some kind of trafficking charge. Hmm. And you know, I, I mean, there'd be a number of reasons to do that. Obviously, one is just to to have a case and right. and have controlled him and. Uh, and anybody else that they're talking to, but I don't know who else, you know, has been identified as possibly having supplied. Um, all we know is that two field offices were working on it. Two different U S attorney's offices were looking to sort of grab the reins. Um, and when are that motivated, somebody's going to get charged. (laughs) There are lawyers. (laughs) There are lawyers. (laughs) I'd be remiss to not talk a little World Series before I get to the actual baseball part of it. I'm sure you saw it's been in the news this week of my colleague at Sports Illustrated, Stephanie Epstein, being confronted by assistant general manager of the Houston Astros. You know, something to the effect of that's why we got Asuna, the pitcher that was charged with domestic assault and had an issue in Toronto uh, before being acquired by the Astros using some expletives towards a group of female reporters, uh, which I guess was observed by other broadcasters, journalists in the room as well, after beating the Yankees the other night. Um, There have been statements from the Angels. There have been statements from Major League Baseball. There's been kind of a uh, mea culpa to some extent from the assistant GM. There has not been, as as not that I've seen, any kind of direct apology to... Epstein to other reporters to the room to women's groups whatever it might be so your response in in sort of a way where you know this world better than I do baseball I saw Jeff Passan on ESPN talking about the arrogance of the Astros this is part of a pattern over a long period of time and maybe it's a little bit of a stain not a big stain on on their success right now just kind of your thoughts on that story well, well, the first thing that was amazing to me was the fact that the Astros would come out with a statement going right at uh, right at SI and saying how irresponsible it was and baseless. Mm-hmm. And it's a room full of reporters, you know. Right. I mean, you've got the whole, the a whole lot room of people. Heard it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, you know, all these all these witnesses to it, and the high likelihood that something you know might have been on video or audio. I haven't seen anything yet, but. 
you would have to think they'd do their due diligence first. And people immediately came out in support of her saying, no, I was there. I saw it. This is the context. And what's been amazing is how many chances they had to, to get this right. And it does reflect what people inside the game have told me about just the, sort of a culture within that, with that front office that they don't answer to people that, uh, they, they're hostile to the press. Um, you know, with Osuna, the, uh, when, when they got him, bent over backwards to, you know, it's not my place to necessarily judge it, but it was some interesting contortions in how they justified it. And mm-hmm. they trotted out the one a number of professional teams do when you get somebody with domestic violence issues and that say how much you care about the issue and that they're putting money behind it. Um, but, you know, the, this immediate backlash from, from, reporters saying, no, this is simply not true. And then the statement that came out from Taubman about it saying, I was, you know, what I did was inappropriate and unprofessional, but he seemed to lay the whole problem on Sports Illustrated for publishing the article. They had another chance. Right. So the bigger issue, I think, with his team, you know, front office cultures are what they are. In some organizations, the attitude is the hell with the press. We don't explain ourselves to anybody. So what? But you're going into the World Series with a team that is incredibly likable and you're leaving your manager and your players to answer for what is an organizational problem. That was the part that was confounding, you know, that AJ Hinch, you know, did a pretty remarkable job of, of trying to clean this up when he got out right, there right. and he was the first one, not the GM, not the, not the team president, not the owner. No, it was the manager who had to get up there and say, nobody should made, be made to feel uncomfortable in our clubhouse. And I, from what I'm told, major league baseball is, very unhappy with this and rob manford did not want to come to the premier event in his sport and have to answer questions you know that frankly the the astros should have been able to handle quickly and easily well i'm not absolving major league baseball either because it just seemed like their first comment was again to kind of question the credibility of sports illustrated and they've softened that stance too but you're right there's there's been an arrogance shown about it something that you and I are both marveling at, that this was said to a room full of media <laughs> and, and then to question it. It's not like you're saying it, you know, in a side room in a bar. I mean, it's just amazing. No, it, it really was. And it was, I mean, again, these guys, whether it's sincere or not, they all go through training on what to say. And the fact that right. they were so unprepared for it and so tone deaf about it, and yeah, you, you create somebody made the point that you just took every neutral fan and made them nationals fans. Right. You know? Right. I, I was rooting for the nationals anyway, because <laughs> Max Scherzer is a Mizzou guy and that's all I need. Um, is, is that connection? You know, my family's nationals fans. I mean, I'm not going to root against the Astros because of that, but I, you sure saw the national narrative change. You got this incredibly likable team. And now this is what you associate with the, with them. I mean, the fact that no one from the front office has made themselves available to this point still is amazing. I, I you know, I, I, I would love to hear the conversations with the, with Rob Manford because I, I know how unhappy he is. And it, to me, again, I'm kind of half media, but to me, it just seems so easy for their PR to just trot him out there. Like you said, even if they don't mean it. Uh, mention her by name, mention SI by name, mention the other female reporters standing there, direct apologies. I mean, that's so easy 
and they just won't do it. And like you said, it's incredibly easy. I know. And I, I, I got to say that is, you know, obviously I have an interest in this because I'm a reporter, but when you attack someone's credibility yeah. um, and then you don't address it when, when you know, I, 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 as a journalist, I have a, a major problem with that, that, you know, she, she did her reporting. She did it solidly. Other people backed her up immediately and they have not addressed that, that their initial statement was absolutely wrong. Uh, they were wrong to attack her. They were wrong in their facts. Um, and, and I, I, again, th- that's been this many days and they still haven't done it. That's a little amazing. Yeah. And just such a gratuitous comment to begin with. I mean, like no one's even asking as I, as I understand it, the domestic violence question about Asuna, right? No one was even sort of bringing that up. <laughs> he wasn't part of the conversation. He wasn't, he wasn't there. Nobody was being interviewed. Apparently he just started just kind of railing about how, <laughs> deleted happy he was they they got no sooner so you know i mean again yeah their statement was that he was defending a player who was being interviewed no one was talking about him he wasn't part of it and 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 that was the other thing was that he'd blown the safe you know why why you know why he picked that moment but the the story that came out is that the one of the reporters was wearing uh, a purple ribbon in support of you know a brace anti-domestic violence right and that uh and that she had written things in the past and that he was targeting her. Um, you know, why watch baseball come down hard on them? Yeah. And listen, I'm a somewhat casual fan and there are millions like me that, that tuned into the world series. <laughs> and before that rant by Taubman, I had no idea. Osuna had a domestic violence past. <laughs> I didn't know. Now I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now I think less of the Astros for, for ignoring that or whatever they did. But, yeah, I didn't even know that. Well, I mean, this is, I, I, I guarantee you that this is going to be a case study now for public relations executives, yeah. for Major yeah. League Baseball officials, for everybody, and what not to do. And baseball has right. been feeling up to this point like they had really avoided some of the storm that the NFL has gone to because they felt like they'd been more proactive. Um, and I know from everyone I've talked to, Rob Manford cares a great deal about that perception. Um, they compare themselves to the NFL all the time and everything. And I think that's another reason that he's probably going to come down hard on this because he, he wants to show that, no, 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 this is a serious issue for them. Yeah. And finally, like you said, the, the games themselves, <laughs> I'm claiming Nationals fandom because I grew up born and raised. <laughs> In Washington, D.C., without a team. So the Senators had left uh, prior to me coming on Earth and then didn't have a team the whole time, so I'm claiming them. But (laughs) there is a likability to them now in light of what we just talked about. Uh, And as we sit here today on Travel Day, they're up 2-0 going back to Washington. uh, Now we get to sports. (laughs) Your thoughts on this series? Nobody ever asked me about sports. Like, I know. Me why. neither. I know. Leave it, leave it to the lawyer to ask me about sports. I, I was thinking <laughs> about when I interviewed Mike Schmidt years ago uh, about Pete Rose. Like, um, for, I, was, I was shocked he knew who I was, which is just someone who grew up a baseball fan. It was just the coolest thing. But we were talking. Yeah. We were talking about some legal point, and he said, well, you're a lawyer, right? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, well, you're always in courtrooms. And I said, well, yeah, that's true. And I just thought, oh, my God, Mike Schmidt thinks I'm a lawyer. That's the coolest thing I ever heard in my life. Um, so leave it to Andrew Brandt to ask me about baseball. Um, 
you know, I, it's fun. I mean, these teams are so much fun. I'm, I'm really, um, I, 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 I could not believe the vulnerability I saw from Garrett Cole and mm-hmm. in, in Verlander. And, um, you know, I know enough having been around the game for a long time that, you know, you can't say that they're buried, but, I, but I think, you know, the, the Astros, when you see your two aces go down like that, yeah. the pressure on them going in, if, if, you know, if, if they can't, if they can't snag the next one and you know, it's, it's a matter of time, but you know, I thought, I thought it'd be a lot more even I, I shocked to see the Nats go in and, and, and take both in Houston. Cause that's a pretty loud place. Um, yeah. And you mentioned but, Scherzer. Yeah, you see, I mean, I watched that game one where he, you talk about the definition of kind of grinding and you could just sort of see the Astros told to like work the count, work the count, 20 something pitches per inning and he's sweating and he's grunting and, it was like, wow, you know, this guy is just going after it with everything he's got. He's my favorite player to watch in the major leagues. And it's not just because we're both Missouri grads, although obviously <laughs> that has a lot to do with it. But, um, and I met him and he was great. Um, he's one of those guys, you know, the first time I interviewed him was after a playoff game in Detroit. And I asked the question, he turned. And when you see those two different colored eyes looking right in on you, <laughs> I thought, man, I would not want to be on the end of that cut fastball. <laughs> you know, this is my God, he's intense, but, uh, no, I mean, be, I'm not, I don't really have a rooting interest in this one, just, you know, maybe him personally, but, um, I, it would be just if, uh, next year's or ended up with a world series ring. On the other hand, you know, Verlander, Cole, those guys, yeah. you know, it, it's, I could easily see this end up going seven games. It's a fun series, and I'm I'm talking to you from Philadelphia, where we have the Bryce Harper factor, and let's get it out of the way. He had a good year, uh, you know. I think by all accounts, and he's been popular player and bringing all that attitude to Philly. But uh, he's not there, you know. Everyone's kind of wondering, oh, what's this? <laughs> what's this guy thinking? You know, all those years and futility. Uh, and the Eagles are on the road three weeks because baseball thought that that uh, football thought that the, the Phillies would be in the World Series and all that stuff. So it's it's an interesting uh, dichotomy with what's going on with Bryce Harper. You're, you know, I, I think this has I know they're still standing behind him and people like him. But first of all, I love how outspoken he is. When I hate one thing that people in our business do when they're not just our business, but just the, the media machine that somehow the culture tries to encourage people to be individuals and to be outspoken and, and, and be themselves. And then as soon as they express any personality, we crush them. Right. And I, I just hate that. And he's a guy, I love how obnoxious he is. I really do. <laughs> I love, you know, the whole, that's a clown question, bro. You know, yeah, I don't yeah. care if he was talking to a reporter, it was hysterical. Let him be him. And if he is himself and the ups and downs he can have with the fans in your town, this could be one of the great love hate relationships in sports history. There's only 12 years left on his contract now. So <laughs> right. <laughs> sure, it'll be TJ, this was great way. as always. Uh, really, really fascinating conversation into what's happened with Tyler Skaggs and your great reporting on it and uh, what happens next with the DEA, with baseball, with the angels, with the opioid addiction issue. Uh, thanks so much. I always, always love talking to you either off the record or on a podcast like this. You'll be back soon. 
Thanks, my friend. Yeah, pleasure's uh, pleasure's mine, my friend. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me on. Really hope you enjoyed that inside look at what happened with the Angels and Tyler Skaggs. Great reporting, great commentary from TJ Quinn, and obviously we got into the World Series and what's going on with the Astros on and off the field. Hope you enjoyed it. And a final word from Bet Online: What a weekend it's going to be! Now we've got all these great games going on. Of course, my Packers at Kansas City. I was at the Packers last week against Oakland. What a wonderful day. Packers seem to be rearing into form now, along with their defense. They're a formidable team. You have other matchups, of course, Cleveland and the Patriots, Oakland, Houston, Philly, Buffalo, and college football. Wow, Auburn, LSU, Wisconsin, Ohio State. Huge game. Notre Dame, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State. Major League Bay, of course, we're going to be in the World Series at least through the early part of the weekend, depending on what happens. So all this action, visit betonline.ag. Don't forget that promo code, PODCAST1, for your 50% sign-up bonus. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand, a baseball edition of the Business of Sports as we sit here in the middle of the World Series. Really appreciate all of you that follow me on Twitter, at Andrew Brandt, that leave comments and rankings at Apple Podcasts, those are truly appreciated. As is our producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal, and our musical performer, Sam Brandt. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.